1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. From America's farm-to-fork capital in Sacramento, I'm Amber Stott, chief food genius and founder of the Food Literacy Center, a nonprofit that inspires kids to eat their veggies and understand why. Raising Kale will chronicle the stories of food thought leaders that include chefs, farmers, doctors, leading experts, connecting them back to the communities that are building resilience around a fractured food system. Today, our food is linked to obesity, climate change, workers' rights, and so much more. It's time we understand the story behind the food we eat and the impact our food choices have on our health, the environment, and our economy. It's time to start Raising Kale.
0: When I started featuring my mom more. It was amazing the feedback that I got from the audience about how much my mom reminded them of their family members. And then that immediately just brought so much more satisfaction into the work that I do. The more I delve into my mom's cooking, more into Chinese cooking in general, the more I felt connected with the content that I create. Two generations of Americans
1: don't know how to cook. We have to look back to our grandmothers and mothers to learn the recipes we grew up eating. According to a Pew Research study, 80% of home cooks are mothers. In the current pandemic, people are returning to their kitchens. When mom or grandma are not around, who do we turn to for help? The internet and to food bloggers. I spend a lot of time with people who teach others how to cook. They are true kale raisers. In a country where half of Americans are sick with preventable diseases because of their diets, cooking can improve our health. When we cook from scratch, we control how much sugar, salt, and fat we eat. Our moms know what's best for us. As we return to the kitchen and learn to cook again, the best food blogs that keep us coming back are those that feature recipes with clear instructions. They make you feel like a culinary champ. And if you're really lucky, Their recipes bring you back to your favorite childhood memories of family meals. Since 2014, Lisa Lynn of the recipe site Healthy Nibbles has featured healthy recipes like avocado toast with orange honey shrimp or easy blueberry smoothies. Hailing from America's farm-to-fork capital, turning farmer's market crops into healthy meals comes easily to her. A few years ago, Lisa started including something special on her website. Her mom. Some of Lisa's most popular recipes are classic Chinese dishes she's learned from her mother, like scallion pancakes. Lisa, welcome to Raising Kale.
0: Thank you. It's so nice to be here.
1: Yeah. I want to start by talking about your childhood because, you know, your blog is so much about your mom and her food. And I want to just have you share some early memories in your kitchen of eating.
0: So I... I am the youngest of four children, and I'm the only one who was born in America. So I was kind of a welcome to America surprise Uh for my family. And, um, you know, growing up, I was definitely felt like I was immersed in a very Chinese, Cantonese, Chinese kind of culture. And some of my earliest memories, I do have vague memories of being able to use chopsticks for the first time. (laughs) I can't tell you exactly how old I was. Uh But I remember that being an accomplishment. I remember it being an accomplishment for me to be able to eat fish on bone. Uh That's like a big thing in Chinese culture. Um, We cook steamed fish or pan fried fish on the bone. And so it was a big accomplishment for me um, at a young age to be able to do that without the assistance of my parents. Um, Yeah. And I would I feel remember, proud of myself if I could do that without the assistance yeah, of someone. Like yeah. that. <laughs> I just remember uh, my mom and my grandmother cooking a lot in the kitchen, oftentimes during special holidays when there are special foods that we would make for that holiday. And so I would see them in the kitchen preparing for it. And me wanting to help because i was curious but also not making them look as nice as what my mom and my <laughs> grandmother made and so those are usually set aside oh. <laughs> so you don't accidentally give those to my family always makes food and gives it away to family and friends uh-huh. so they set it aside so they don't accidentally give the not so pretty looking stuff to other people <laughs> so yeah so those are only some of uh, my memories and I, I have very vivid memories of My mom and my mom's mom. So I lived with my my dad's mother, so my paternal grandmother. But my maternal grandmother, who I grew up in San Francisco, but she lived in New York. And she would visit every few years. And I remember they would always buy a durian,
1: Uh which is that
0: spiky... Tropical fruit that has a really, really strong smell that I personally don't like, um, but it's apparently it's really delicious and sweet. And I remember whenever she comes, they would always we would make them go slice it open in the yard because <laughs> we didn't want the smell in the kitchen, and then they would go eat it outside. Yes, because durian has it, yeah. that
1: reputation, right? Durian fruit yeah. has the reputation for
0: yeah, it's
1: such a strong smell that it's something you would possibly make people eat
0: outside. Yeah, it it lingers too. So I definitely remember that um, (laughs) very vividly. So yeah, just like random snippets like this. For the audience, in case they don't know what a durian fruit is, can you describe it just a little bit more? Yeah, so it's greenish brown. It's pretty big. It's about the size of my head, really. And it's really spiky. And when you slice it open, you need really a sharp knife to cut it open cuz the the outer skin's very hard when you slice it open there is this really lush yellowish fruit on the inside um so the flesh and the seeds are pretty big but there's flesh around it and the smell is really strong but if you can get over the smell <laughs> the flavor is supposed to be really good and sweet
1: so even as a kid you weren't you weren't food experimenting with that
0: no, absolutely. Not. <laughs> I could eat a lot of other things. So that was just one thing I couldn't yep. overcome. Still can't really overcome. <laughs> if I'm honest. You're not
1: alone. You're not alone. <laughs> yeah. So, so you remember your grandma coming to visit durian being eaten out in the yard. What other sorts of um, special occasion foods do you remember?
0: Um, we so for the um, dragon boat festival which happens usually around the summertime. We make this thing called zhong, that's what it's called in Cantonese. Um, And these partials, a lot of people call them Chinese tamales, which I don't really know how I feel about that. But (laughs) the concept is very similar. You're using bamboo leaves to wrap sticky rice and filling, which often includes meat, pork, this you know varies across families. So my mom has pork, Chinese sausage, and egg yolk, peanuts, mm-hmm. dried shrimp. Um, so and then you wrap it um, very carefully. There is a lot of skill involved, and I definitely don't have much practice with it. Mm-hmm. But it's a big ordeal, and it usually takes several days. Um, one day is dedicated to washing the leaves, prepping them so that because they usually sell them dried. And they're not pliable, right? They're not, you can't really easily bend them. So you want, you soak them, you wash them so that they're clean. And then you, bo- my mom boils them just so that, just to get rid of all the dirt and everything like that. And then the other day is dedicated to, um, to wrapping all of them and cooking them. And then you make a ton. And my mom always gives them away to other uh, relatives too. And, Yeah, and I just remember that being a big process. And I remember my my mom and my grandmother would sit on these really, really short stools, really low to the ground, and they have all the ingredients piled everywhere on the kitchen floor. And they're just sitting really low and just picking up little bits of everything and then wrapping it up. Um, Yeah, and it happens every year, and it's a really um, long process. So it definitely. I just remember that very vividly as well.
1: Yeah, you have a lot of great memories. And um, do you remember at what point you got
0: to start helping with the cooking? Well, so the the thing the that I mentioned, I never got to help with that because I was just so, (laughs) that was a very involved process. But in terms of cooking in general, I do remember starting to help when I was in high school. Um, Because my mom she had her day job, but she also liked to do alterations on the side for extra income. And because of that, she needed help cooking dinner. And so I'm not cooking the entire meal. I'm just putting rice in the rice cooker, making sure that's cooking, maybe stir fry some vegetables so that it relieves some of that burden off of her so she can maybe just cook one or two dishes. Um, So that's when I started cooking and that's how I was able to cook for myself in college too. So that skill actually came in really, really useful, even though I complained all the time <laughs> when I was in high school.
1: <laughs> so you, you weren't, you, you felt made to do it in high school and not uh, drawn
0: oh, to it. Absolutely. Especially on weekdays when my TV time is really precious because I have to start <laughs> doing homework. I definitely did not want to be cooking dinner. Yeah. Um, in the evening (laughs) that's
1: great uh so you you grow up um you become a lawyer in fact um Mm. and then you decided pretty quickly that that wasn't the life for you so like and you started this food blog not long after so so you know kind of talk about that transition and
0: how you found food when i was in college i thought i wanted to go i i don't know why i just in my head i just said that what I'm going to do. I mean, it's partially uh, very common amongst Asian American families where you are, even if your parents don't really actively pressure you to go into a quote unquote respectable profession, Mm -hmm. you still feel that kind of pressure indirectly. And so when I was in college, I was very interested, sorry, this is going to be a little bit long winded (laughs) explanation, but when I was in college, I was interested in studying history and political science, and my family just thought, why would you ever think to this that? But That's just sort of my passion and what I was good at, and so I justified it by saying, don't worry, I'm going to go to law school, and it doesn't matter what I study, but the writing, the analytical skill is going to transfer over, and so then I just kind of went along that path, and I, in my early 20s, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I just know that I knew that I really loved school and so I wanted to keep going to school. Thinking law school was similar to undergraduate experience, which is not, it's not, um, but also not really a hundred percent familiar with what lawyers do. I did mock trial, but that doesn't, is not the same as being an actual lawyer. Um, and so I did. So then I went to law school, did my family prestige as a very respectable type of trade to get into. Um, also, because I am the only American-born child, I felt like the pressure to succeed was on me. Even Again, not that it was active pressure. I just felt like there was this expectation for me to do well. Yeah. Um, and so I went along that path. And then soon after I graduated, um, I just realized that I never... Just being a lawyer wasn't something that I wanted to do. I kind of knew that during school, but <laughs> when I'm in it, I just want to finish everything, right? Yeah. Finish school, get the license, and then you can decide what you want to do with all your credentials. And um, yeah, and I, so when I moved back, I went to school in DC, and when I moved back to the Bay Area, I just, it was a struggle to find a job also for me, also because I had moved. It's tricky when you move so far away from where you went to law school. Um, It is oftentimes tougher to find jobs because your professor's connections are usually all around the East Coast, so it was difficult. And at that time when I was trying to find a job, I started just cooking from food blogs. Well, actually, I I will say in law school, I did that as well. Mm -hmm. I cooked from, that's when I discovered food blogs being a thing, I remember Kaylin's Kitchen being one of the websites that you used to cook from. Um, And I became obsessed with cooking from food blogs because what else was there for me to do? And my husband suddenly just said, why don't you start your own food blog? You seem to enjoy this a lot, which sounded like a crazy thing to me because I am not, one, did not think I was a creative person. Mm. Two, I also felt, embarrassed that i was not using my law degree for a job and instead starting a website talking about food it just um i just didn't know i didn't want people to find out especially not my classmates not my mentors in law school to find out that's what i did so i found healthy nibbles and bits because i was really into healthy foods yep. um, and so i thought well this is a very very generic name no one will ever trace it back to me and that's fine this is just something that i will do to buy time um but i didn't realize how much i would be so interested in running a food blog. i got really i got really excited when 10 people visited my website and that feeling made me want to produce more content so that Mm -hmm. more people can see it and then within a few months i just felt like this is what i want to do
1: kind of similar to that feeling when you could um, eat the fish off the bone by yourself, right? Having followers, having, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's so satisfying to know that I did all of this and people are seeing it. And it was a feeling of accomplishment and very, and sort of joy in what I was doing that I hadn't experienced in quite a while. And so then I just had to talk to myself and ask, you know, what is it that you want to do? And I sort of realized that I noticed that um, throughout my academic life, if I'm really passionate about a subject, I know I will work really hard mm-hmm. and I I'd improve and figure out a way to make things work and do well in it. And so I thought like, you know, like food blogging just seems to be something that I'm super interested in. and so. Early on, I had this faith that I would somehow figure it out and work really hard um, to make it work. And so now, seven years down the line, um, yeah, it has worked out for me.
1: (laughs) Well, and I want to talk about the beginnings of that blog, too, because Mm. it's really interesting to hear you say that you didn't think that you were creative, because when I first met you, it was pretty early into your blogging, and you used to make these adorable pictures with your food. They were so creative yeah. and so colorful and filled with joy. And uh, so like, what was that experience like tapping into that
0: side of yourself? So I, I love crafts. I love, I, I, from a young age, I liked cross stitching. I liked knitting. That's the extent of the artistic side of myself. Um, I always compare myself to my sister, one of my two older sisters. And, and she can draw so well. And I know that I don't have that talent. And so for whatever reason, because, and I grew up with her drawing all these beautiful drawings and I just mm-hmm. felt like, oh, I'm not like that. So mm-hmm. I'm not. So that's why I told myself that I'm not artistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the, the food art that you're talking about, sometimes my creativity does manifest in ways that I don't even realize that it's in me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I that it was, I did that a few years ago because I felt stuck with food blogging mm. because at that time I was still focused on doing healthy recipes, but I just felt like the recipes I was creating wasn't really meaningful to me. And I needed some other way to express myself. And so I studied art history in high school, and so I loved it. And I decided to transform famous paintings and decorate toasts, <laughs> which were inspired by this lovely artwork. And so that was great for that time in my life when I just really needed some way to express myself yeah. um, in a meaningful way that wasn't just like easy sheet pan meal ready in thirty minutes because I felt I, I felt like it um, what I was creating was very not necessarily robotic but it just wasn't meaningful to me.
1: Yeah, and I remember also that those early conversations when I first met you, so. Um, you were also at that point still sort of soul searching. And I remember you saying how much you wanted to cook your mom's food and capture her recipes, but you weren't sure people would be interested. And you were sort of, you know, debating in your own mind out loud, like, should I take this leap of faith and cook my mom's food on my blog? Um, and And, of course, that's what you're known for today, so kind of talk about that transition as well. so it, you know it's it's, it's an interesting how your blog has sort of manifested your your personal
0: journey as well. It's so interesting to hear about myself or <laughs> to hear about what I said a few years ago because yeah, i definitely um my mom had turned seventy around that time, and she is known for cooking. Her cooking, and I wanted to keep her recipes alive because I knew my siblings weren't quite as interested in learning her dishes, and I just wanted to make sure that it stayed within the family somehow. So there are definitely certain key recipes that I wanted to learn. And as someone who studied history in undergrad, I was always very interested in how this food and how it interacts with my heritage, um, how it food that is in sort of uh chinese culture in general and so that's why i was really drawn to going into that direction and i was really afraid to do that because at that time i think there was some you know some people were saying don't pigeonhole yourself in a particular type of food because you'll be locked in you'll only be known for doing that food which to a certain extent I am kind of like that, but I don't feel stifled by it. But I was afraid that I would be. Mm. And um, so if I avoid, I avoided it for the longest time. Mm. But when I started featuring my mom more, first in my social media channels, it was amazing the feedback that I got from the audience about how much, my mom reminded them of their family members, and then that immediately just brought so much more satisfaction into the work Mm -hmm. that I do. It's kind of like that initial feeling I got from when I first started blogging, just that incredible satisfaction. And yeah, the, the interesting thing was the more I delved into my mom's cooking, more into Chinese cooking in general, the more I felt connected with this um with the content that i create and Mm -hmm. i definitely don't feel stifled by doing these recipes at all um yeah and it's been great i i decided to feature my mom in my social media because i would text people what my mom says to me (laughs) and people seem to find it funny and so i thought like i wonder what other people will think about my mom (laughs) Um, and the things that she says and yeah and sure enough people laugh at the Asian mom it's so strange that Asian moms share very similar personality traits even though you can be Japanese or Korean or like not even Chinese but they all share it even though they've never met each other before and I find that hilarious (laughs) yeah and I sympathize with all the Asian kids um, growing up in America give an example oh so um I used to visit my mom more often less so um in the past year but when you, whenever I visit her, she always gives me so much food to take home with me, as if <laughs> I can't feed myself, as if I don't cook for a living. <laughs> She's like, "No, oh, you can't get this in Sacramento." Even though I technically probably can, it's just a lot more difficult for me. But she buys so much food for me, and she fills my entire car trunk with food or plants. I, I will say, I can't. I I don't have a green thumb, so. She gives me plants to take care of. And, oh, you want one plant? Let me give you five. That um, is just such an Asian mother thing to do, especially because I'm the youngest. She's always worried about me because I'm also living an, an hour and a half away. But to her, it's really far away. Yep. And so she just wants to shove everything at me, even though I have to tell her to stop. But she doesn't accept it. Well, you tell her to stop and she won't give you this big bag of rice, but she'll go find something else to give you. You know, it's like, yeah. Yep. Yep. That's I would say that's like a very common Asian mom thing.
1: And I think, you know, in general, moms and daughters, right? Uh there's a lot relatable about those relationships yeah. that people probably recognize oh, themselves really.
0: in. Absolutely. Or um there's always room for improvement. <laughs> <laughs> um whenever I know what I do, there's always room for improvement. Which is, you know, which I admit that is a true thing, but it's I always can rely on my mom to tell me that there's <laughs> improvement.
1: Well, and and there is definitely this um, air of perfectionism, and you have yeah. inherited
0: that. <laughs> I know. If as I have gotten older, it scares me how much uh, I have inherited those traits from my mom. Um, yeah, it's it's part. You know. The I first of all, I don't think I'm perfect, but I strive to do the best that I can. Absolutely. However, in the process of striving, I think that's why I also produce content at a slower rate than a lot of people, because Mm -hmm. I believe in making sure I can do the best that I can before I put it out there for someone. Especially if the recipe is slightly complicated. So like barbecue pork bun. But I want it to be a really long time. Mm -hmm. But also if the let's say someone in my audience wants to devote a day to it I just want to make sure their time is worthwhile and so I do all the testing on my end try to explain the recipe as much as I can so that you don't fail so that you don't Feel like you wasted an entire day trying to cook this dish. Absolutely, and this Not is having anything to
1: show. I think a strength of your blog, and you know, I, I've cooked your recipes, and I've taken one of your cooking classes, the the scallion pancakes, and I think that is so wonderful how you do test. I mean, you even had the temperature of the water that you know the warm water yeah. that we should use, and yeah. and and it was so um, following along with your recipes. I feel successful as a, as a home cook who doesn't know these recipes. Um, I am like, oh, this is working. <laughs> you know, I can tell that I'm successful because you have these cues in there, like the temperature of the water or the way something feels mm-hmm. or the way it looks. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about that process and what that is like sort of. Uh, not only creating your own recipes, but then also sort of documenting as your mom is cooking because she doesn't use a recipe.
0: Yeah. A lot of that detail comes from, I think, two main things. One, my mom, when she explains her recipes, she's also very detailed. And she's great at explaining why she's doing something. There are times when I wish she did a little bit more of it, but she's always telling me, well, I'm doing this because of that. And I then feel like I should also pass that information on to other people so that they succeed. But also because before I started writing my own blog, I was also a follower of food blogs. Mm -hmm. And I would often be very frustrated when something didn't turn out, especially when I was in law school, when I I only had this day to cook. Mm -hmm. And so I would be frustrated if a recipe is too general or wasn't giving me that sort of specificity in the recipes. So now that table for turn and I'm writing the recipes. I have all that in mind. And so it helps inform how I should um, write the recipes. And I often also read some of the questions I get on social media and that helps inform how I write recipes in the future. So if I said warm water, mm-hmm. and I warm can be interpreted in so many different ways, you know, like it could be lukewarm or it could be almost hot and people would consider that being warm Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of why I put temperature ranges so you kind of hit with it you don't have to be exactly within that range but it gives you more a better idea of where you should be um yeah and so that's. I always have I'm always thinking about the reader when I'm writing the recipe Mm -hmm. can a word or some adjective have multiple interpretations and oh maybe I should explain it a little bit further Mm -hmm.
1: so so talk about some of your favorite recipes on the site
0: oh i definitely i really enjoy making scallion pancakes with chun bean because i just enjoy eating it it's really simple um and people whenever i teach the class people really enjoy it which is a great class to teach because the teacher feels satisfied that everyone is loving the (laughs) um so i really do like that a lot i also really like my mom's flash fried green beans I really like that too because another very simple dish but it you can make it on the weeknights. so basically you just take green beans flash fry them kind of shallow fry also but fry them for a minute or two just to get the skin blistered mm. you take it out and then you saute some garlic and then put the green beans back in and season it and it's just so simple but it's also very delicious. Um, although I have a lot of complicated <laughs> recipes on my site, sometimes the simpler ones are my favorite because you just are amazed how much flavor, how good something can taste, even though the ingredients list is only five, you know. So that's, I would say like, those are definitely, I make a ton of dumplings too, but those are very time consuming and I enjoy them a lot. I like the process of folding because I liked origami as a kid. But mm. I also know it's a very big time investment too. So I enjoy them, but sometimes the simpler ones are my favorite recipes. Yeah, and
1: describe scallion pancakes for somebody that might not have eaten those.
0: Mm. So the chong is a, um, there are different styles. The, the style I make, you make some dough and you roll out the dough into a very, very thin, thin layer. And then I like putting a little bit of oil in there and I saute some shallots because I like the sweetness of the shallots. Add some scallions and a little bit of seasoning and you roll up the dough into a long log and then you start curling up the dough into a coil so you end up with like a snail shape and you roll that out and then you pan fry it. And once you pan fry it, golden brown, it's delicious because when you rip it open, Mm -hmm. you get these really thin flaky layers of tartanio beans. Um so that's the style I really like. A lot of people have told me how it um looks like um paratha? I hope I'm pronouncing that because Indian um soft bread also. Mm-hmm. It is paratha. Um and but like the Shanghai style, because I roll mine out pretty thin. The Shanghai style is more like compact. And it's just a different style. Um, you know, different regions in China have their own interpret dish. But yeah, it's just pan-fried crunchy goodness.
1: Oh, it's it's really good. And my stomach is growling so much. I'm I'm craving those right now as you're describing it. <laughs> um and and what's maybe the thing you're most grateful
0: for being able to cook with your mom? I'm grateful for the time that we get to spend together because quite frankly, I don't know how else I would be connecting with my mom because I live, she's in San Francisco, Sacramento, and cooking with her has definitely brought us closer. I mean she had me at a very late age when she was 40 and um, my mom like a lot of Asians are not really openly we're not a hugging kind of family and so I never really built that kind of relationship with my mom I love her but it's just it's very common in Asian families where there's just that hugging aspect is not quite there which is interesting because I hug my friends Mm gladly all the time um and so and she was always working when I was young so I never felt like um I was super close with my mom Mm -hmm. but the cooking has definitely brought us together it um makes me appreciate all the time that she spent Mm -hmm. cooking all this food for us honing her skills over so many years I also appreciate the time she still takes in her life to learn a new dish, Then she'll teach me how to do it. So, um, and it just wouldn't have happened if I wasn't featuring her more often on my blog. That's amazing. I love it.
1: Um, And, and I also have been hearing this theme about food sharing uh, about your, you know, your mom making food when you were little and yours had to be set aside because she was sharing the most beautiful ones with Neighbors or our family, um, and now you're sharing these recipes through your blog. You know, talk about that theme a little bit.
0: Food sharing is just really common in my family and my relatives or family friends in San Francisco. I don't know. I just think it's a big part of our cultures to make a lot of food and share them with other people because it brings families together. Um, brings friends together when you're visiting someone you always bring food that's it's just impolite to not bring something (laughs) over to them and so that's just been ingrained in me and it's funny you mentioned this because I noticed that whenever friends would visit me I would always if I didn't have time to cook for them I would give them so much food I would always ask are you hungry are you thirsty it's just Things that I know to do when you're being a host, Mm -hmm. you always make your guests feel comfortable. And eating is the (laughs) best way to make them feel comfortable. And so I just always have this mentality of wanting to share food because especially the food that you cook, you've invested so much of your time in it and it's a labor of love and you're giving it to your friends and family, hoping they'll enjoy it too. So it's definitely something I have embraced. And I didn't really realize, I didn't notice it being so much a part of like as much of my culture until someone else points it out. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's really it's it's beautiful though, and um your and your photography is stunning. Um, you know, you're you are so creative, and you also have that gift of of being able to hone in on the details, and those two combined just really make for uh, a great user experience when, when folks are visiting your
0: site for sure. Thanks. Yeah. It's so funny when people say I'm creative, but I still don't think I am. It's, <laughs> it's definitely not ingrained mentality if there's always room for improvement. And so yeah. I look at other people and like, Oh, those people are super creative and I'm not at their level. So I don't know if I'm really that creative <laughs> at all. Is that a yeah. a thing you feel like you you push yourself to be or, or does, does it come? I, come- also, I don't know. I I push myself to try to be creative I guess i more so push myself to try to explain the food that I'm cooking in the best way possible mm-hmm. and if that comes out as something creative then that's just sort of a byproduct but really I'm here to teach uh-huh. I think that's most in the forefront of my mind is how do I teach you something but in an engaging way mm-hmm. so you don't find what I'm doing boring
1: Kim is pointing out on your site she found some purple noodles
0: they're gorgeous. Yeah. But, oh, that was a fun experiment with red cabbage. Oh, that would be a great thing you can do with your kids. Yeah. You buy, buy red cabbage and you put some vinegar in there and it changes the color of the water in fun ways. And if you just put rice, because rice noodles are white. Uh-huh. If you cook them in there, it dyes the food a certain color. It's super fun. It's a beautiful.
1: Yeah. It's like. an experiment, yeah. Pastel y, purplish, pinkish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's stunning, really gorgeous. Yeah. This podcast is about kale raising. uh, And I interview folks who are getting into good trouble using food as a tool. So, how do you consider yourself a kale raiser?
0: I am a kale raiser because my food is a way to express my appreciation for my culture, my heritage, what my mom has done. And I think it has also been a vehicle for other people to appreciate their own family history too. Mm. Um, and I didn't expect any of this at all, uh, but it people tell me that's how they feel when they see my food. Mm. So they are very appreciative um, That's foods that they grew up with are being highlighted, especially because my family is from a specific region of China, and you don't really see many influencers cook food from there or hear people speak in that dialect like my mom does all the time, and so they, they are appreciative of that um, representation. So that's how I'm using food.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, because feeling seen in this big world of food blogging, yeah. um, that is definitely slowly becoming a little more diverse, but it has not been traditionally. Absolutely. It's so important. Right. Yeah. And,
0: um, and I also hope to encourage, I sneak in vegetables here and there? <laughs> more often, I should hope people will be inspired to eat more vegetables because they're amazing. I eat a lot, too. <laughs> yep. And if you could inspire others
1: to raise kale at home or raise kale in their community, what would you encourage them to do?
0: I love a sense of community, and it would be great if people can even go somewhere to be able to buy foods that are grown from local farms so that you can get um, you can get to know the farmers, the producers out there, and you get to appreciate food even more so. Like when I, You and I go to the Sunday farmer's market all the time, and it's great because I'm not a grower. Again, I have no green thumb. Yeah. Um, but just the process of, of eating foods by farmers locally grown within this region has made me appreciate living in California even more, appreciate all the, the diversity of the agriculture of the vendors who are out there. Um, so I would say, yeah, it just makes you appreciate where you live more when you eat locally grown foods. I think that's how I would ask people to raise kale.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that
0: you want to share with our listeners? My handle's at hello at HelloLithalIn everywhere. Um, my blog, HealthyNibblesAndBits.com or HealthyNibbles.com. It'll bring you there too. And that's about it. And- Follow me if you like looking at an older Chinese lady cook, please follow me on YouTube or Instagram.
1: And we will have links to all of these resources on our website as well. And we definitely encourage you guys to follow along and cook these amazing recipes. They will bring a lot of joy to your life. And thank you so much for sharing your time and your story with us, Lisa. And what are you cooking today? Today
0: I am, um, it's the Lantern Festival, so it's the end of lunar New Year. Yep, today and I'm supposed to cook um, the, these rice dumplings that are circular but I made them I had made a Black Sesame filling for them. So let's go make them today and we can eat a couple. I made some yesterday too, but I'm gonna make more today.
1: Nice. Well, enjoy the celebration and, and thanks again, Lisa. I look forward to talking to you soon. You're welcome. Thank you for joining this joyful conversation with Lisa. I love that she's capturing her mother's recipes and sharing them with us. You have got to try her scallion pancakes. I am addicted. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and follow us on social media. Are you a kale raiser? We love discovering new stories of raising kale in communities across America. Share your story with us by texting Kale to 73389 or by visiting us at RaisingKale.com. I hope you'll also check out my new book, Food Anatomy Activities for Kids. It's a science book where kids get to eat their experiments. They'll learn about plant science by growing a watermelon seed. They'll understand how leaveners work by baking in a mug. Find the book on Amazon now. Links are on our website. Tune in next week as we learn how food creates careers for people who were once considered unemployable. We'll hear from the co-founder of an incredible job training program for the homeless and talk to one of the program's trainees about his new career as a vegan chef. Next time on Raising Kale.